Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and the shakers of the craft beer business and other entrepreneurs beyond the world of brewing. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hey, John. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the co-founder, co-owner of Offsite Nano Brewery and Kitchen in Miami, Florida. Along with business partner, Steve Santana, he has built what many consider to be the perfect model for a neighborhood nano brewery and casual eatery. The success of Offsite was aided by the fact that both co-founders had successful ventures prior to teaming up in 2021. How does he keep the lager and chicken super good? We're about to find out. Welcome to the Beer Hour. Adam Darnell, thank you very much for joining us here in the tap room today at uh, Jay Wakefield Brewing. Of course. Thanks it's for having me. Pleasure to have you in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> on site here. So we'll kind of jump in. So where did you grow up? Um, I, I was born in Nebraska. I actually, we, we, my family moved to Wyoming when I was three or something. Where at? Um, uh, originally Glenrock, Wyoming, which is the very center of the state, right. which is desolate. It's literally like high desert. So it's a mile high, but it's a desert. Really? Um, and when I was about 10 or 12, I something like that, moved to Powell, Wyoming, which is up in the northwest corner close to Yellowstone. Oh, okay. And that was beautiful. much more agreeable. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Is, so is that where you first, you would say you first got into craft beer? My dad brewed beer growing up. So in the garage in Wyoming, yeah. there was always a five-gallon. And in high school, we could, we could kind of get away with stealing his hams. Right. But the homebrew <laughs> was off limits. Yeah. You would get your ass kicked for uh, stealing, stealing the homebrew. Home yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really where, where my introduction to craft brew came in. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Um, so since your dad, home, did you ever get into homebrew at all? Man, I've brewed like five batches of beer yeah. on a stovetop, <laughs> you know, like a gallon batch, not even a, so. So I would say no. Yeah, uh, I think we got two that were palatable out of five beers. Maybe we brewed. I mean, that's not a bad percentage. That's you know most I mean? people. Yeah, uh, I think so. They were palatable. They weren't good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's okay. most yeah. people, and they'll yeah. still drink it because yeah. they're like, "Oh, it's beer." Oh, hey, I made it. I made it. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be good, right? So. Yeah. Um, but my dad was a. He had an IPA <laughs> that was more of like a Belgian style IPA. Oh, nice. Um, that he brewed consistently, and it was it was really good. Um, I remember. I, my fair share, yeah. I wish I wish Belgians were still a thing. I mean, they they kind of made a slow grab back, but not like early two thousands. You know, mid two thousands when Belgians I was at Total Wine day. over the weekend, and there's just a whole thing of Dreyfontaine, just bottles sitting on the shelf, and nobody really wants them anymore. It's crazy. Nobody wants them. It's like crazy. yeah, you go back to two thousand ten, nine, yeah. twelve. I mean, that was it, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people um, were paying stupid money for those bottles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think even 10 years ago you saw it. Yeah. Oh, that's what, yeah, I mean, yeah, up until about 2013, 14. Yeah. And then sure. it was like hazy IPA. Then that was it. <laughs> Definitely changed the landscape a little, yeah. No, absolutely it did. I mean, so in reality, I mean, we're here to talk about off-site, but really we can't talk about that without first, you know, kind of talking about Box Elder Craft Beer Market. When sure. did you guys, when did you and Nicole open up Box Elder? Uh, March of 2015. Right. So that would have been like two months after us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right around yeah. the same yeah, we time. Were, we were yeah, right yeah. behind yeah. always. I think it was right between, I think you guys opened, we opened, and then. We opened January. MIA maybe opened a couple months. Yes. Later yeah, they did. Like they opened, like, yeah, later in like mid-year that year. Yeah. But yeah. we would yeah. always have Wake Fest and then you, was, and you then, guys would have yeah. the anniversary yeah. party. Yeah. Uh, and our anniversary fell on what was Hunapu Day. <laughs> so once we opened, I never got, I, I quit going up there. So now I've. I've been back a couple of times, yeah. <laughs> so what what was box elder uh box elder was um a, a craft beer bar and bottle shop um it was something that we as we got more and more into craft beer um looked for and could rarely find um when we were living in new york there were a couple there was one in the east village um and i forget i think it was on ninth um it was kind of in a basement but it was like you could buy the bottles but you couldn't drink them there 
and you could drink the draft beer there. And we're like, this, it just was like infuriating. Um, and then come to find out it's because of the laws. Laws, laws. yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of places have that. Florida, you know, a 2COP lets right. you do both. You can so, do whatever um, you want. So, yeah, that's kind of what it, it, it was born out of us being yeah. frustrated, uh, not being able to find that. Yeah. And um, so you kind of model it after that, but improved upon it. Uh, as much as we could, yeah. 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 Um, and, it, you know, honestly, it was, it was a great uh, success. Uh, the, the bottle shop side, I was never certain about if right. that would take off, and it actually did, um, which why, I was really... Why do you think it was so successful? I mean, I think, you know, at the time, like I said, you guys had just opened. Um, it was still, and, and the neighborhood itself was, was different. Um, but I think the landscape was just a lot different. There wasn't, in Miami specifically, there wasn't really a craft beer you know, people were still, you had to get your beer shipped in or, you know, trade right. for beer or whatnot. Um, people used to line up for beer releases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I think that was a big part of it was just kind of a place for those people to, to congregate. Same as, as here, somewhere to get good product. And So what ended up happening to Box Elder? Um, well, I mean, pandemic happened to everybody. Whatnot, right, of course. And, um, yeah, yeah. and we were lucky enough and actually worked with our landlord then, uh, and made it through the pandemic, which we were stoked about. Um, and shortly after, the landlord um, decided they were going to knock the building down. I mean, that was their intention. Their right. plans had finally been approved. Uh, so they gave us our notice. Um, and we had had a buyout. Unfortunately, that was eaten up by, by COVID. Oh. Um, they, we, we didn't have to pay rent for quite a while, for about a year. Right. Uh, but that ate up our, our buyout at the end of the lease. So, that was, uh, so when they gave us our notice, it was like, well, all right. Uh, you know, there's not, at that point, there was nothing, nothing we could do. Um, so we had a good couple months there, and, and that was it. They, unfortunately, the company that was going to develop the property went bankrupt shortly Right, after. I saw that. So, because uh, I thought that the company that bought it was from New York, I thought. They were, they had uh, buildings in New York, but they were a UK-based company. Right, they were UK-based, yeah. and then they went under, I thought, the end of last year, or something like that, or, yeah. It's been a, it was like a, it was a drawn-out process. Um, when we were actually leaving, our last day on our lease officially was Halloween of 21. Right. Um, so a couple weeks before, I started reaching out to see if we get a couple extra days, have a big right. blowout on Halloween, and then, and then move our stuff out. And um, I couldn't get a hold of anybody, and, and nobody would <laughs> respond. Nobody, no, finally, I got one of their lawyers on her cell phone, and she's like, oh, I don't work there anymore. Oh, wow. And I was like, well, can you put me in touch with somebody? She said, oh, nobody works there. They're, they're in bankruptcy. Everybody got fired. Um, Whoa. So there was nobody even to speak to. Um, so we knew at that point. You were screwed yeah, at that point. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I know now it's, it's already been bought. That property has already been bought by somebody else, and they are in the process of. Yeah. 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 They, he had purchased, I think, the adjacent property. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, his good fortune to get that spot. <laughs> yeah, I think they that. got it for a steal. I, I, it was, versus what yeah. the original guys bought it for. Yeah, I think it yeah. is worth steel. So on Friday evenings at Box Elder, Steve Santana, who founded Takiza, a popular local chain of taquerias, would come in and make super good chicken sandwiches that you would pair with super good lager. Is that where the idea of Offsite came from? Uh, yeah, essentially. Um, our third anniversary at Box Elder... Every year for our anniversary, we'd just do, you know, a bunch of good beers, and then we'd right. try to do some food that was In the back. Free. Yeah, yeah. We'd just give it out when it was ready. Um, so we did cacinas, we did whatever. Um, Steve had been working on a fried chicken sandwich that we didn't really know about. Right. And he's like, hey, I want to, like, bring this one out for the anniversary. I'm like, yeah, great. So we did it, and they were gone in, like, 45 minutes. We went through a a hundred of them or more. Wow. Um, and we're like, oh, maybe this is a thing we should, <laughs> we should do. Maybe. And it took a little while. Uh, Steve kind of refined it a little. And then we started doing it, yeah, Friday nights. Um, we did it for about a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Um, and and the whole time refining, you know, changing the lettuce, changing the, you know, everything. You, about dialing it in. Tweaking yeah. it. Yeah. Dialing it in. And um, especially once you got the, the bread in right, it was just like, this is it. Don't, don't, don't change this. It. So what is... A super good chicken sandwich. It's a uh, fried chicken thigh. Yeah. Um, that's breaded in our our super good breading. Um, it's Steve's <laughs> recipe. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, that I would, I, I don't even know. You know, it's, it's, and then he's got his sauce too, the super good sauce. Of course. That's uh, mayo based, but uh, heavy on roasted garlic and, Ooh, and okay. whatnot. Um, okay. So it's been, and a lot of it too was a, a box elder. We do it in 
people would take their sandwich and go eat and then come back and be like, that was the best chicken sandwich I've ever had. Do you guys put cheese on this chicken sandwich? Uh, we don't officially, but you can order. <laughs> you with can cheese order it with like. cheese. Yeah. That's like a McChicken. You don't get it with cheese, but you can put cheese. Uh, on yeah. It. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had to ask. I just, you know, uh, I don't think Steve would ever eat one with a slice of cheese on it. I don't. I think he would kind of. Be I like, don't know. I'm a fuck? cheese guy. So. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not with the like mayo, garlicky. It's got the like right amount of of lube from the mayo and stuff. It's not dry. It's it's juicy. It's it's. Oh, and it's a thigh like, too. Yeah. But you guys are known to like put on. Like these pop-ups, like USBS is another one. I mean, yeah, back then, yeah, yeah it was that. At yeah. Boxelder, we did a bunch of that. And that's kind of what, what this was uh, right. that turned into offsite. Um, and, and really, we were approached by the landlord up there, up in Little River. Um, at the time, it was Thomas Conway. And he sent a girl out and was like, hey, why don't you guys look at these spaces? And we had kind of talked about it, but never seriously. Um, so we went up and started looking, and we're like, oh, the neighborhood seems right, the, like right. everything... The rent was was reasonable. Um, you know, everything kind of made sense. So then we, we we attacked it a little more. I mean, was that all during the process of you guys closing Box Elder? No, this was prior to closing Box well, Elder. So it was the both. move. Yeah, yeah, we you, thought we. Oh, you were gonna have both. both of them going. Really? Yeah. Um, it, and, and of course, we didn't think that building out offsite would take as long as it did. We literally got our it, plans. It, anything in Miami. Oh, my God. It's the truth. Yeah. Our plans were approved March of what, COVID was 2020 or 2020? Yeah, 2020. March of 2020, we got our plans approved. Right before the shutdown. They just started, yeah. and then everything shut down. Uh, and then we had, you know, it was some bad fortune on, on a, some of the subs on the job uh, passed away. Oh, wow. Well, one guy went into the hospital for a kidney operation or something and got COVID in the hospital. And never, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So then all the, su- all the subs were like, we're, we're not working. We're not, you know. Right. So then it was the plumber could be there. He would go do one thing. You had to wait until the next day to have an electrician come. Um, oh, you couldn't have everybody on site at the, same time. at the same time. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so it just slowed it down so much uh, that it ended up. We actually closed uh, Box Elder and opened offsite the next week. Uh, which was never wow. intended, but it, it worked out. I mean, you know, I guess fine. that's fortune favors you then uh, at that point, right? Because yeah. you just kind of rolled out a one right into the next. It really didn't give us even time to sit around and think about it or, or right. you know, shit. Well, I, I mean, that's a good thing, though. Go. Uh, it was yeah. great, yeah. Uh, looking back, it couldn't have happened any, any better right. in that regard. Can you describe the Little River section of Miami to our listeners around the country who's probably, who may have never been to Little River? Yeah, sure. So it's the kind of northern part of little haiti right um the northern border is literally uh uh it's a canal now but was the little, little river right um and it's on 86th street right um so south of that and then it kind of cuts over it goes south of 79th and cuts over to uh, northwest second there and goes down to like 69th i believe maybe 62nd even right um but it's a you know traditionally haitian neighborhood um the building we're in actually had a restaurant there when it was originally built called Watson's that was pre, you know, Miami Shores was there whatnot, but there was not, Little Haiti wasn't a thing. There was no right. Little River. Right. Um, and, and, of course, that's, that, uh, actually, my old neighbor was an 82-year-old guy. He was great. He was a busboy there. Met really? When I told him we signed the lease there, he's like, wait, what building? And uh, so, so there's definitely still some, some history there, which right. I think in Miami is, um, you know, something we should... Kind of hang on to because it seems to get washed away. Oh, quickly. yeah, with all these high rises now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's nice to ha- be in a neighborhood that kind of does have that 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 feel. Yeah, feel to it. Um, but yeah, we're really tickled about the neighborhood. I think it's it's moving in a nice direction. It's gotten cleaned up. I mean, we've had our. Where are you guys exactly located? We're yeah. on the corner on the corner of uh, Northwest. Excuse me, Northeast Second and Eighty uh, Second Terrace. Okay. Um, on the southwest corner there. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the building is called Ebb and Flow. Uh, the right. project and it's our building and then a building across the street to the east right um that have got a few kind of boutique shops and because it's not just you in this building it's there's other food vendors yeah yeah so there's probably 12 other spaces in the building right um there's a few offices a couple of architects another restaurant right um a gym um across the street which is the same ownership right uh of the of the property uh, there's, I think, three restaurants. There's Taco Place, Italian Place, uh, Tran Ann, which is right, of course, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of a nice little. 
And then there's still, like, the PAX supermarket is still there across the street from us. Right. Uh, which, you know, a lot of people know about, and if they don't, they should. It's $1 a piece fried chicken, and it's Ooh. awesome. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was a supermarket. They recently changed their stuff to be able to properly uh, be inspected and serve the, ch- the fried ah. chicken. So, um, <laughs> okay. But, man, it's it's worth checking out. And yeah, B&M is right up there, too, the nice. roadie shop that's nice. very good, yeah. So what is the concept of offsite? Offsite uh, really is a it's a kitchen and a, and a nano brewery or a brew pub, if right. you will, and and it really literally is born out of what we were doing at Box Elder there, and just kind of combining the two on a more professional, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, cooking with a roof over our heads and right, yeah. the backyard. Right, I got uh, you. But now you're also making your own beer. Yes, we are, and that has been arduous. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we are, which is great. Um, we have uh, a Maury's brewing. He's the head brewer at the tank, and um, and he's brewing for us on, as like a, a side project for him. Nice. Um, it's a small system. It's three barrels, so it's you know, uh, I'm sure there are some home brewers that have a nicer setup than we do. Um, it's it's like one step above homebrewing. I mean, literally, it's it's not yeah you know, hundred gallons yeah. at a time. Right? No, it's um, uh, yeah, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's been fun. It's been I, I don't know if I'd say the hardest part, but it, it's definitely a, a tough one. It seems like every time we brew, the chiller breaks. Uh, you know, it's it's something. <laughs> it's a hot water ending. heater. Yeah. You're always chasing something. Yeah, I you're think that's like something. being a homeowner. It's like you're always chasing something. It's true. Something yeah. always needs to get fixed. How many uh, how many different beers do you guys make? Right now, not very many. Uh, no. We've had a couple loggers out, but... Um, Which take up a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pushing for a couple uh, IPAs next. Uh, i got to talk to Maury, of course, but we also need another... You're going to get your dad's uh, IPA recipe? Man, I should, huh? Yeah. That would be dope, man. Yeah. Uh, man, he's coming down in June. There you go. Yes. Man. There you go, Have man. Have him See? freaking Actually, brew it. Yeah. Um, <coughs> a couple IPAs uh, I would like to see. Uh, we need a new... We need another unit tank or another a bright tank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of limits what we're actually able to put out. And then, of course, doing the loggers takes longer. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, how, how much volume do you think you guys did last year? Oh, like none. Yeah? I, I wouldn't even know. Um, Maybe 100 barrels? I mean. If. If? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, the, the one thing we do have, I guess, that's nice for us, um, and maybe it's kind of taking the heat off of that, um, because that, that to me that's like, you know, that's pretty unacceptable to produce that little amount of we're going through, you know, it's growing, it's whatever, it, it, it's, it's fine. Uh, we have our super good lager. Right. Um, which we started brewing, which is Maury's recipe. Right. We brewed it the first time in the backyard at Box Elder, a five-gallon right. batch. Um, he took it to the tank and started brewing it there. Oh, so you get it uh, contract brewed then? We contract that through the tank. Um, before, the tank at the time didn't have a canning line, and we wanted cans. Right. Uh, so we actually moved it up to 26 degrees. Right. Um, and they're doing it now more over with Maury's kind of oversight. Um, and they do a great job. So we're able to get that in cans and, uh, and draft. And we've been, that's been doing about 30 barrels a month. Oof. Um, okay. Which is nice. Yeah. That's real nice. Um, that's okay. super nice. We're, and yeah. you get it both in cans and draft. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. That's, yeah. So we usually end up with, you know, 200 cases a batch and then the rest wow. of it in draft. And you sell that all in house. Uh, no, actually, a lot of the cases now are going out to Distro. to accounts. Oh, yeah. nice, man! Yeah. Which is another thing that with the brewpub license in Florida, you can't. None of that beer can leave the premise. Right. If you brewed it on your site, it cannot leave. Right. But it, since it's contract brewed, it can. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is you know part of the the way to get a brewery in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, because breweries, it's a brew pub license, not a brewery license. Right. Brewery license, as you know, is only allowed in certain neighborhoods. Right, I know. industrial stuff. Right, exactly. So d- can you tell us about the menu at Offsite? Um, sure. Obviously, the, the, the best seller is the chicken sandwich. Of course. Um, the, the Cuban sandwich, which I was a little leery of even putting on the menu, um, of course, I should. Miami's so picky. I know, and it's like the quintessential Miami sandwich. Right, so you don't want to, you know. I shouldn't have been, and Steve nailed it. Uh, and that's been on a lot of lists as even the best Cuban sandwich in Miami. Um, so that's 
Duroc okay. Torque that he you oh, know, roasts. Well, of course, yeah, that's where then, you start. Uh, okay. And uh, <laughs> a 12-month-aged Benton's Country Ham. Oof. Oh, okay. Uh, the pickles are done in-house. Well, I mean, that's a different so level. Yeah. That's a different level. Uh, and that's just Steve's way of doing it. Is oh, of course. Best. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that has been a, a great one. And honestly, the burger has gotten a lot of, of rave reviews. Um, it's a burger. It's a. Is it a smash? No, it's not. Oh, it's God. not quite a okay. pub burger, but we do okay. take a temperature on it, so it's right. got some. Yeah, um, Chuck brisket short rib blend. Ooh, um, that's awesome. And then uh, it's koji aged, so they all get uh, kojified and aged over at least overnight. Really? Um, yeah, and it really does add a lot of the umami. <laughs> Steve, can we go Steve. to lunch? Steve, <laughs> no, outside? Steve, because I haven't been yet. Yeah. Koji, koji aged. That's uh, that's a different twist, man. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, it it adds a lot of that. Uh, umami, umami, the, it's yeah, absolutely. Steve, yeah. it's very Steve, right? Like, yeah. leave it to him to just go that extra mile. And, yeah. and, and so that one's been, uh, you know. And then there's stuff like a grilled cheese that's just. Do you guys have a dog too? Yeah. Well, okay. So we have our own dog. Um, we started making hot super dogs. good hot dogs. <laughs> well, well it's the champion dogs, but we're having some trademark. Uh oh. Uh oh. there, so we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Um. We started making hot dogs, our own recipe, grinding them and everything. And stuffing them in casings? Stuffing them. Oh, my um, gosh. Wow. Back in 2021. Uh, and we did probably 10 or 15 batches of that. And it is the hardest thing. Um, you have to emulsify the meat. And of course. Yeah, yeah. 50 degrees or else you break the emulsification, whatever. We ended up finding out on these meat forums online, um, <laughs> which are very reminiscent of beer forums. I yes, swear yeah, to God, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's like barbecue forums, any of that, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's literally. Yeah. Uh, there's an old juicer called the Champion Juicer, which is where the Champion Dog comes from. It's like the the, the quintessential wheatgrass juicer. You put wheatgrass in, and right. you get like a, a log, and you get the juice out of the bottom. Right. You put a cap on there, and you put the ground meat through it, and it emulsifies it perfectly. So you just have to keep it cold, and it, it's like it's crazy when it comes out. It's just like a perfect. That's nuts, meat. dude. Uh, That's so nuts. we started doing that, and, and that was when we really kind of nailed it. Um, now we've uh, got a place. We want to start getting those out into distribution as well. Uh, so we have a place in Chicago, which is oh. like you know sausage capital of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, um, all the stockyards, USDA yeah, yeah, approved, and, right. and is making them. Took our recipe and has scaled it up. So we do about 150 pounds at a time there. Wow, uh, and have them, and, and we'd like to get those in you know six packs and that's dope, man. Stores and stuff. So that's that, dope. Yeah, the hot dog is a, uh, and then Steve took that and and of course. You know, the only thing to do with that is dress it somehow and, and went with corn dog. Oh. Uh, and his masa is, you know, so he uses his masa and, and it's. I love corn dogs. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's crazy what a. Uh, yeah. So what's next? You think more locations? Uh, holy cow, man. We've got. Uh, this month is going to be a crazy one, even. Um, so Box Elder is opening downtown. Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Box Elder is opening downtown. I thought soon. I, you guys. I, said, I can't. <laughs> But that was in the works. It was in the works. And that's been in the works for years. Um, it's finally TCOs are happening and whatnot. Right. Um, it's okay. You're breaking so. it nationally. This is not yeah. a local. This right. is a national, national. show <laughs> it's on national. It's been XM. broken. I mean, it's not a... It's not a, it's not a secret. We it's knew not a it was secret, coming. But there's a... It's uh, with a group of a bunch of other places. Um, so there's this kind of a narrative they they're want to lead. And I probably won't nail it. So Box Elder will be coming in downtown in the next two months probably nice on east second and flagler which is i think kind of where i is that put the heart of brickle area that, no that's just uh like uh, on the other side of bayfront yeah, oh you okay know where Olympia oh, yeah. theater is yeah 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 yeah, it's yeah just the block to the east nice. of that nice um I, where that whole I mean, Foods is and stuff that's probably going to be a lot of hopefully drawing a lot of people from the condos and everything there yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah. We'll see. It's yeah. 10 taps, um, and then right. the same stuff as, as the original box seller. Not the bottle side, but right. rotating the taps uh, right. all the time. Right. Um, Are you going to do food thing. there or no? There will be food, but not by us. Okay. Yeah. Um, I figured if you're saying yeah. that it's kind of a multi. A conglomerate. Yeah. 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 Um, and then uh, we also, in the same building as Offsite up in Little River, are, uh, we, I haven't told them, nobody knows this. Um, my wife knows this. We're opening a wine store, a natural wine oh, store, dope. Uh, which will have a small really craft beer component. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, Lucio, I don't know if you know yes, Lucio, yes. was up there forever, and he was great, um, and we loved having him in the neighborhood. Um, he closed up, uh, my understanding was he went back to Portugal with some family issues or whatnot, I don't know. Um, he was open, and when we closed Box Elder, we were like, well, 
a bottle shop would be the just a retail spot would be. And we thought about that neighborhood, but he was there. We didn't want to step on toes or anything because um, we do like him. He was a great guy. Um, but there's been a, a void now for nine months or so, um, and a space came up in our building. So nice. we signed that lease. We just got – oh, we got our CU. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. We got our CU like three days ago. Nice. Um, you know what you're going to call it? It's going to be called Zero Zero, uh, which is a natural wine term. Yeah. Kind of nothing in, nothing out. Um, uh, and then we're going to have also a, a little section of that. That's It's an 800-square-foot shop. Um, we're going to have about 200 square feet that's going to be zero-proof. Oh, really? No, we'll have a beer. We'll probably have just a beer cooler. Right. Um, we're going to have zero, a non-alcoholic like section. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, that you know, market seems to be going crazy. Yeah. Uh, we get a good amount of it at off-site and go through, yeah. and, and it sells really well. It's, it's nice to drink. It's nice to have an alternative to, to booze. So we are going to dedicate a, a whole section to that nice um which should be fun but you yeah. might have to pass along some of those brands to us because we get people in here all the time yeah. that oh, don't I would, want yeah. just soda yeah they want, they want something they want you know NA. the functional beverages or the new tropics or whatever the yeah um I'm, I'm happy to send you some stuff over um so we're excited about that that i i literally was at the department of revenue getting their stamp yesterday nice. you just have to have the zoning stamp and then it's uh we can Apply to DABT for the two APs. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I got uh, one last question for you. Obviously, you've been a small business owner with Box Elder before. What's that feeling now that you have this restaurant slash nano brewery? What's that feeling like when you're in there, either behind, you know, in the kitchen or in the in the brewing area and the place is packed and, and you see all these people having a good time, drinking, eating, enjoying your products? Like, how's that feel, man? Uh, I mean, it feels great. Um, it's... Definitely makes you, you know, um, not feel so bad about being pissed off that morning and, and having a million things to do. And, you know, uh, so it does, you know, it, it's literally like a cathartic thing, I feel like, when you see that and you're like, okay, this is, this is happening, this is working. Do you enjoy this more than you did Box Elder? This is more work. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a restaurant. It's a restaurant yeah, and yeah. we're trying to brew, so it's yeah. like a, you know, it's... Two-headed beast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's a lot more work. I don't. I can't. It's like it's saying, "Who's your favorite kid?" It's yeah, a different you know, kind of yeah. love, right? Like yeah, a different kind is. of appreciation. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also where Box Elder's been through a whole right. like, cycle of opening and closing, right. and, and now going to reopen again. Um, this one hasn't done that yet, so it's it's different kind of appreciation, I think, for the two of them. Nice. Um, I I do enjoy like making the brands and, and getting them open and, and yeah. stuff. Operations is still a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, still got to do it, but I hear. You. Yeah. Well, it's awesome to uh, see where you're at nowadays, brother. And I uh, wish you nothing but luck on your future vineyards, about ventures. Thank you, thank and you. Uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And thank you for taking time out and coming down here to your old neighborhood and talking <laughs> with us. <laughs> Anytime, yeah. Anytime. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is the beverage director and partner for the Neighborhood Restaurant Group in Washington, D.C. He has opened many projects with NRG, including Church Key, The Sovereign, The Grand Alancey, Blue Jacket Brewery, and Brewery St. X. He draws upon his extensive knowledge of beer, wine, spirits, and coffee to curate the offerings at NRG's nearly two dozen concepts. He was a James Beard Foundation nominee for Outstanding Wine and Spirits Professional. Food and Wine Magazine named him their first ever sommelier of the year. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Greg Ingert. Thank you very much for joining us today on the show, and uh, it is a pleasure to actually have you on. Thank you, bud. Great seeing you. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been a minute. Uh, a pleasure as always. So, Greg, what exactly is the Neighborhood Restaurant Group? So, we are uh, a collection of, of independent restaurants, bars, wine shops, bakeries, butcher shops. Um, originally located in the in Northern Virginia, we spread into D.C., Maryland, New York City, and now New Orleans. Um, Michael Babin, our founder and CEO, he started the company back in 1997 wow. with a single um, uh, restaurant called Evening Star Cafe that is strong. It's a fantastic little neighborhood joint in the Delray neighborhood of Alexandria, Virginia. Um, he then opened a wine shop next door, still going strong, called Planet Wine, and, and started to uh, kind of slowly transition his career. Uh, he was a lawyer and lobbyist 
uh, into full-time restaurant tour uh, work. And um, by the time I met him uh, in 2006, he had just opened a place called Rustico in Alexandria, uh, which is a uh, which was our, our first beer program, our first beer focus project. Right. And at that time, I had been at the Brick Skeller for uh, a couple of years. I had I had thought that I was going to go out on my own. I kind of learned as much as I thought I could from the Brick Skeller. I had a lot of new ideas about things I wanted to do. And I met Michael. He just opened this place. It was his fourth restaurant, and uh, he was looking for somebody to come in and and run the beer program. Um, and so. I, I was absolutely thrilled to do so, and, and but, but mentioned to him that I had a lot of ideas about, you know, interesting new bars, concepts, restaurant concepts, and things like that. And basically, right from the start, he was like, "Well, let's let's get proof of concept going with this location, and uh, and then the sky's the limit." And uh, and that's what happened. So awesome. together, we've moved on to open, um, you know, a couple dozen uh, additional places over uh the last 17 years or so um and uh, it's been it's been an uh, outstanding thing our team is phenomenal it's grown massively obviously the pandemic took a, a bite out of it but uh, uh we've, we've come back strong and um it's great i mean we're known primarily for our beer concepts for sure places like church key right. uh the sovereign blue right. jacket our brewery but um but we we do so much more we have fantastic chef driven restaurants great wine programs spirit programs and things like that so what what year did you join? Two thousand six. Two thousand six, and back yeah. then you said they had about four locations and yeah, four locations and a wine shop. Yeah. And what do you think? You and guys now we are... have about twenty four uh, wow. locations. Wow. Um, so and what's cool though is like again, put yourself back. I know you can do this. Go back in time to two thousand six oh. and what craft beer was. You're right. In, in America, like. You couldn't find craft beer on draft uh, inside the Beltway in D.C. in more than maybe a handful of places. Uh, and now it's ubiquitous, right, right, right. Um, exactly. for good or, or ill. Um, and uh, it's just it's just been a wild ride to see things change as much as they have. Tell, tell us about Blue Jacket. Like, what was your vision for the brewery and what was your role in its development? Right. So I'm not a trained brewer, right? right? I'm, I'm more on like the Psalm side. Um, and uh, so, which I think is interesting about Blue Jacket because we opened Blue Jacket. So let's see here. So the, the, our biggest project is probably Church Key um, and Birch and Barley, the, the restaurant downstairs, which opened in 2009. And uh, we uh, opened Blue Jacket in 2013. So it's 10 years old this year, which is amazing. But one of the craziest things about Blue Jacket was I wanted to build a brewery um, that uh, again, remember, this is before the taproom boom, right, in 2013. So back then, if you were going to open a brewery, you are either going to do production brewery or like a brew pub. Right. Right. There wasn't the, the taproom thing hadn't happened yet. And so we, we knew as restaurateurs we wanted to do, you know, great food, great beverage, great cocktails, great wine, and great beer. So we were looking to open uh, an amazing um, brew pub in D.C. And I just want I, – I, again, this is probably the history of all this. I'm fascinated by the tower breweries in England. And, and, of, and of London, where, you know, the brew house would be up, up in the air, and all the work would be produced, you know, 40 feet in the air, and then they'd bring it down for fermentation, and then bring it down for maturation at the bottom, letting gravity take it down. So I kind of got obsessed with this idea of showcasing the brewery in a sort of tower format. And also the idea that I was going back in those days to so many breweries where you'd sit in the restaurant, and the best, the only way you could have access to what the brewery looked like was to see, like, you know, that diagram on the wall. Or Sunwater Ton. Or if know, they gave you a small you know, window to look through, that's how you saw it. A little tiny yes. picture yes. window. So I yes. said, let's find a place, which is not easy to do in DC, by the way, because DC has height restrictions, not a lot of industry. But right. we're looking for some, some height so we could build a brewery up. And I'm bringing this all up as not a brewer because, of course, then once we went about, putting our brewing team together, they thought it was crazy. And I think they still do. Um, right. So when you walk into Blue Jacket, so anyways, we found this old boiler maker factory from, it was built in 1919, building wow. boilers for the Navy. And it's in Navy Yard. So it's right next door to the Navy Yard complex. And uh, it goes up about 65 square, uh, 65 feet in the center. So we built a series of MC Escher-like mezzanines with these weird staircases and such. Oh my gosh. Um, and then put a, a mill with two separate augers, uh, one vertical, one flex on the ground floor. So that at least we, because we couldn't put a, an elevator in, it's a historic building. So we, right. we had to be very careful about what we did. 
And, um, and so basically when you walk in now, you know, you see this, you walk in, it's kind of looks low and then it opens up and you look to your left and you can see the, 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 the brew house up top, 50 feet in the air, uh, a deck for fermentation on the left and straight ahead and then serving tanks, um, right on the ground floor. So you can actually see the entire brewery That's from amazing. your seat in the bar. Um, and, and then we wanted to make it like kind of a brewery without boundaries. So we put in way more tank capacity than we needed. We put in horizontals even back then. Uh, we put in an open fermenter. Uh, we put in some squat fermenters to get uh, interesting, you know, ester uh, production on, on on saisons and things like that. We put in a cool ship. And um, basically, I was kind of thinking for the long haul. I mean, even back then, I knew that trends change, uh, interests change. And we wanted to make it a brewery that where the brewers could always kind of experiment and go in different directions and have 20 drafts and five cascales when we opened which back in 2013 was unheard of nowadays most breweries have you know a couple dozen drafts probably but back in 2013 that was kind of a kind of a, a strange thing so a new idea, you know yeah. I mean, we've been we've been curating and producing and, and showcasing so many of the world's greatest beers whether stateside or abroad for for for, for, for you know uh a while at that point so we thought why not try to add our voice to the conversation that's amazing that's amazing yeah. how, how many cool. how, how many barrels uh annually are you guys producing at blue jacket right now about 2000 nice. and i would say 95 percent of that is sold on site nice. um so it's been it's been really great um you know we never built it to really be a production facility we always had the ability to distribute but um i'll tell you a funny story like I mean, funny, but also sad <laughs> when the pandemic hit and we, everybody, you know, everybody shut down. Everybody has right. a story like right. this. Luckily we had put in this little um, canning line, like in 2018, I think. And when I say little, I mean, little, it's, it's one of those cask canning lines right. yes. from England. It's like five by two. Yes. Uh, you, you hand feed it. And then on the other side we have like, you know, if, if your grandmother uh, was like a champion jam jammer, like, you know, canner, <laughs> The labeler that she would have, it costs like $2,000, is what we use to label our cans nice. to this day. Swear to God. Nice. So you have somebody feeding the cans on one end. and and But believe me, it's it's legit. Like, I mean, we, we make sure that we don't have any oxygen pickup or anything else. Right. It, it really works well. And then on the other hand, somebody's pulling it out, putting it into the into the labeler. Uh, then we, we bring it down. But So we had this, and we were doing some great canning for a couple of years. But when the pandemic hit, um, we you know shut down. And in April of 2020... We sold more cans in that month than we did in all of 2019 combined. That's amazing. Based on you know That's the amazing. retail thing, yeah. And, and remember, the Nationals, you know, we're 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 you know stones throw from Nats Park. The Nationals won the World Series in 2019. Yep. So it was like a really a massive thing, and thank God we had we had we had got that canning line when we did, or else we would have been toast. That's awesome, man. Is I mean. Is Blue Jacket beer only available in the uh, neighborhood restaurant group restaurants, or do you distribute we, we, yeah, it across? We, yeah, we do a little of that, but um, we yeah, definitely within our group, we we do a little bit of um of distro to other places locally for sure, and in Virginia, um, Virginia, Maryland, DC, you'll see our beers now. Um, but then we do like hot spot drops, you know, uh, you, like you guys do a lot of, right. you know, we'll just drop a couple pallets in North Carolina, a couple pallets in uh, you know, Massachusetts right. or, or Georgia. Um, typically around festivals that we're doing, you know, um, but, uh, we have a lot of great distribution distribution partners out there, um, who are helpful for them. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, brewery St. X in New Orleans? Yeah, for sure. So this was a wild one. We, before the pandemic, we've been talking to, um, this, uh, a really great, uh, real estate company down there called Domain Co. Um, they're based in New Orleans and in, and in, and in New York city. Uh, they had this put um, a great concept in, and we got introduced to them. And we started talking about putting uh, a brewery in uh, in New Orleans, and then a separate food concept as well. I'll explain that. But then the pandemic hit, and I thought that was it. I thought, you know, this isn't going to happen. It's we had a couple other projects right. we were working on. Um, one in Richmond, um, actually with the Vale Brewing Company, nice. and one in uh, Charleston, South Carolina that went away because of the pandemic. Um, but the New Orleans one came back and we were kind of surprised and excited. So um, we partnered with this, uh, with this group on, a, on this project. It's in the, um, uh, the, the warehouse district CBD yes. yep, yep. Right, right near Smoothie King center, right near uh, the Superdome, nice. probably about a 10 to 15 minute walk from the French quarter. And um, it's in a, it's in a huge apartment building, like 30 stories called the Odeon. And on the ground floor, we've got about, uh, 6,000 square feet for a, a brewery, restaurant, and bar called Brewery St. X. 
Um, about 2,000 of that is the actual brewery itself, and then about 4,000 for the restaurant, restaurant and bar. Yeah. Full bar, huge. It's New Orleans, right? So of course. amazing cocktails, wines, you know, whatever. And then, um, and then that's connected to an incredible barbecue concept called Devil Moon Barbecue, and it shares a kitchen, and, and we're the proprietors of both of these things. So we have a classic uh, barbecue concept called Devil Moon in the front of the building, um, and then uh, that's focusing on, you know, kind of standard mix of Texas and Eastern North Carolina, but with a really cool New Orleans influence as well, uh, like a, a little bit of a Cajun Creole thing going on there. Ooh, nice. And then uh, Shannon Bingham's our, our chef. He's an incredible pit master, and he's also the chef for the restaurant at St. X. Um, that's kind of barbecue adjacent. So different, totally different menu, utilizes a lot of smoked meats. Uh, the brewery itself is a seven-barrel uh, brew house, uh, very small, only looking to do like maybe 1,200 barrels a year, only consuming on site or cans to go. Yep. Um, Alex Flores is our, uh, our 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 head brewer. He works with Ro Gunzel, who's our director of brewing ops for both Blue Jacket and um, St. X, and uh, focusing a lot on classic styles. You know, we got five side poles showcasing six to eight week lagers, um, two cask ales at all times, whether or not anybody wants to drink them. Right. I don't care. <laughs> we're going we're to we're do it. Um, we're going to serve it properly and, and people are getting into it, you know, um, so that's cool. But then, of course, you know, showcasing great haze, great, um, you know, smoothie, fruited sours, yep. and, you know, given that group what they want to. So kind of all that, but leaning into the classics. For that's sure. awesome, man. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I got a question for you. Like, would you say that wine and beer are consumed in equal measure by diners and the restaurants in your group? I mean, not at the bar, but at the table with food. No, not even close. Wine, I would say wines consumes much more. And, and that's a great question because, you know, 20 years ago, I was dreaming. I think we all were that beer was going to break through and become this equal of wine. Right. Um, table side. Uh, just in, in the way that it was respected and served. And certainly we go to those lengths. I mean, you know, we temperature control our drafts. So nobody right. else is doing that. Um, and we make sure that, you know, we use high temp to two chemical um, dish machines across the board to make sure that the glassware is absolutely perfect every time. Things like that. The kind of reverence for beer that wine has been afforded, uh, we hoped everybody would do, and that that would lead to the table side interest. And it just hasn't happened right. um, outside of a few select. It's, you know, it's remained in some ways kind of a, a commodity. Um, and so, and one that's consumed a lot and appreciated, but not quite there. So I think wine is still, um, you know, give it a little bit more, uh, much more, um, you know, interest to, at the table. But I would say what trumps both of these things at this point are cocktails. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. It's unbelievable. Like yeah. the, the cocktail boom and the interest in spirits has gone past both. I mean, wine, wine is... You know, in our company, but nationwide, sales and wine, you know, everybody talks about how craft beer is in danger and everything, but wine is really the thing that's fallen off um, massively uh, as far yeah. as sales go. You yeah. know, so, um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's pretty much status quo there with a mix of cocktails in there. I'd say, if anything, cocktails before and after dinner have uh, interrupted wine's place at the table rather wow. than beer. Huh. And, and I know part of your job is you know, to keep your beverage programs on the leading edge of like consumer tastes. I mean, four years ago, for example, like you identified the low ABV movement and opened a 50 tap low ABV bar called shelter in, you know, a 12,500 12, square foot hall called the roost. Mm -hmm. How was, how was shelter received? And did you have guests who were like, maybe not quite ready for that low ABV life? I think, yeah, it's funny when you say that it's like when, when we try to predict trends, Obviously, like, we'd all be billionaires if we actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. could. You know, it's like a lot of it's like you follow your passion, you take some risks, but you're also – there's nothing new under the sun, right? right. See, the anxiety of influence, I mean, we're all created by others all yes. the time, yes. right? We're just riffing on each other. <clears throat> so I think that, like, with Shelter, first of all, it's a 50-tap system, right? So and, and with two cast scales, if I do 26 of those beers under 5%, well, the other 26 are going to be plenty for the people that aren't into it, right? right. So I'm hedging my bets uh, there. You know, uh, it wasn't like, okay. it was like, it was like every single beer is going to, you know, I felt like 25, 26 right. under 5% would be enough for now. All 50 um, under five. <laughs> that would be, be difficult. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and you kind of, I mean, I, in some ways we're trying to create these trends, right? right? I mean, yes. so I think 
we've done a pretty good job of that. And, you know, I didn't do this in a vacuum. The lager thing had been coming on for yes. some time when we yep. opened this thing. So I wasn't like, I was just like, oh, all of a sudden, like, nobody likes these beers. We're going to do them. It, it, it was the right place, kind of right time. And people have been, they've been really, really uh, receptive to it. Right. And I think that, you know, this goes hand in hand with the mindful drinking um you know, stuff that's been happening for the past few years as well. Yep. Um, our, uh, the interest in non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic cocktails and stuff has been there. So we have a, a nice list of that as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's been, it's, it's been very well received, but yeah, I, if you're, I don't think that you're going to see like a, a slew of Lloyd B. beer bars opening right, across right. the country anytime soon. But, um, but no, I think it's been, it's been a fun thing for sure. I believe that we're in a trend to go back to beer tasting like beer, having some more of these classic styles. I mean, look, I mean, we're brewing ESBs and, uh, deck, you know, dark check loggers and stuff like that. And people are receiving them and drinking them, you know, four years ago or five years ago, you would not dare to brew anything like that because people would have been yep. like, this is trash. Just give me yep. pastry stouts and smoothie sours, you know, or hazy yep. IPAs. Yep. Hey, yes. yep. Yeah. And that's it. But now I feel like we're in a swing, like there's still a place, but I think we're coming back to, yeah, like people have asked for barrel-aged stouts, but they don't want it loaded with 20 adjuncts. They want, yeah, you know, yeah. they want to taste the barrel. They want to taste the spirit. Plus, they want, if you want to put adjunct in it, it needs to be single, maybe two, two adjuncts at most. So coffee and vanilla or coffee and coconut or coconut vanilla. But, like, yeah. I think the days of just inundating these things with adjuncts is on the way out. And it as is. far as, like, the, the smoothie sours... I. I, there will always be a place for those, but I think the rise of more classical style sours with fruit in them is also on a back on an upswing to me. Absolutely. I mean, and the thing that's so funny about this is that everything is evolving, right? right so yes. we had this this we had this moment where people wanted strong, they wanted they wanted big, bold flavors, intensity. Yes. Yeah. And now that's that's giving way to simplicity and nuance, yes. right? So the funny thing is like, well, what's next? Nobody knows, but that right. something is next. Yeah. In three years, something that we're not talking about right now, we'll or be. maybe some fusion yes. of it is going to be next. That's, right. that's what's crazy. But even what, what I'm fascinated by is this, the, the rise of, of haze and uh, fruited sours and, and pastry stouts went in lockstep with um, the ability to easily rate those beers as better than others right okay yes you can look at a hazy beer and you can taste a hazy beer and say this is hazier and softer and more fruit forward in the nose than this one yeah right it's it's obvious you can drink a pastry stout and say this is thicker than this one this is sweeter than this one this has more coconut flavor than this one right. you can drink a fruited sour and say this one sticks to the glass more more than that one yes right so for the the, the 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 masses that have created careers, whether we want to admit this or not, on Untapped, right? It was easy for them to to rate certain beers, many of which are yours. Congratulations, <laughs> like, <laughs> highly, right? You know, versus others, right? Right. But what happens when that goes away? Are we going to entrust these the these the the sugar tooth, you know, right. craft drinker that right. could so easily say? But this pastry sounds better than that one um, to decide whose tamavi is best. Right. Like, right. And so when people come into Blue Jacket, they used to come in and they take out their – we've been doing classic styles for a long time now. Right. We knew we weren't going to be able to play in that game. We do fruit and sours, pastry sours, right. and haze. But, like, we knew we weren't ever going to be Monkish Trillium Treehouse. Like, we knew that. Right. So we do a little of that, but also we do classic styles. When they would come in and pull out their phone and start looking through Untapped to see what they were supposed to buy, right? Well, if it's a wall of loggers, it's like I don't, I don't know. The game changes a little bit. You yes. know what I mean? It's yeah. like there's no four point fives. Right. I mean, it. Do you entrust those people that lived off that sugar life and the haze life to have the same knowledge and respect uh, for of for class? No, exactly. Saying, that, that, right. I mean, I, I don't. So, so what is it going to be based on? At least before, like I do trust them. I will say. Right. Right. Like, no, when I it do. Comes to untapped. When I would have a four point five rated hazy double IPA. Right. For the most part, I agreed with that. Right. I have to say that honestly, right. like they they knew it was up. I think, and and the fact that all those ratings were there's so many ratings swirling around. I feel like the cream did rise to the top, and they were mostly accurate. 
But when I see, I mean, a great example of this is one of the greatest beers in the world, uh, De La Sense Terrace Bulba, I think is rated like 3.6 right. on untapped. Right. And it's never going to be higher than that. No. So when you get to subtle nuance, low ABV, dry beers with hop character, um, I don't know who's going to tell who what's better or not. Yes. And so maybe maybe that'll become important again. And maybe beer bars will become uh, relevant, more relevant again uh, on account of that. I'm not sure. That's awesome. So I have one last question for you here. What are you drinking these days after work or on your day off? That is a good, that's a really. Cascale. Uh, He's drinking Cascale. I, I, I actually, Cascale is real beer. You know what I mean? That's the way it was meant uh, to be enjoyed. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it is, uh, it is a mix of, it's, I'm going to sound so boring. I wish I had like something more. No, no, no. I, but to, uh, I think it's what know. we've evolved to nowadays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's how it goes. We all just keep moving. So I think I'm drinking, uh, yeah, real ale at, at the restaurants. I drink a lot of lager at home. Um, you know, I can tell you, I just Sierra Nevada, uh, made a big bonehead decision last year to remove Summerfest oh. from their, uh, release calendar, uh, which was funny cause it was like loggers are coming on strong, but luckily they, they brought it back this year. So I've got, cans of Summerfest in the fridge it's an incredible uh german style lager with like a sierra nevada touch which is amazing and uh but i also i love drinking wine and i'll just tell you about i'm really excited i'm i'm heading out uh with my family to los angeles uh, i have a four-year-old we're bringing her to disneyland nice um on friday but of course you can't be in our business as you know and like just do stuff for your kids exactly. you yes. we gotta go drag eat. them along yeah yeah, yeah. So we're heading uh we're heading up um you to, know like Santa Barbara, uh some Central Coast wineries. Santa Rosa uh, there's two, or not Santa Rosa, I'm two, sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you know, um south of Paso, Paso like, you know, like yeah. Santa Santa Inez, yeah. um uh that area. Because a lot of the, the winemakers there are still farming. Yes. You know, it's not like a lot of the places up north where it's Napa, you know yeah. just blending and you know, things like that. And so um, a couple of great wineries I give a shout out to you that we're going to head up that are make amazing stuff is Demetria, Demetria. and uh, Zarlu and Sons. Okay. Um, we're hitting both of those up. They make fantastic stuff. Uh, in the case of Demetria, they're doing all biodynamic in the valley and um, and making incredible Rhone style uh, wine. So, Ooh. anyways, so yeah. if you had a bottle from either one of those, what would you recommend? Maria's in. She loves wine too, so. <laughs> Well, I've, I've only had a couple from them in the past, but I'm looking forward to visiting, so I'm not sure. But I think that, like, anything Syrah uh, from Demetria is probably going to be incredible. You'll let me know during uh, Snally Gastro. Yeah, let her well. know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thank you very much for your time, Greg. This has been an awesome chat, and it's uh, always good to see you. And uh, I wish you luck. And then, uh, obviously, let me know if you guys are going to bring the neighborhood group down to Florida anytime soon, you know. <laughs> I will definitely let you know. We actually are looking. So, uh, yeah. Let me know, Talk man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. All right, bye. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Adam Darnell and Greg Ingert, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for listening. You can catch us each Friday at our new time, 6 p.m. Eastern time, on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real. <laughs>